vaca foi pro brejo, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Brazilian Portuguese for the cow went to the swamp. Hmm. Which is how you describe a situation that started well, but ended poorly. Uh, I'm not actually sure the sprint race idea started well, ever, uh, to be honest. But in my opinion, it has certainly worn out its welcome. Maybe you disagree. I'm Drew Scanlon. Hmm. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm good. Is this a sprint weekend? I did oh, not realize. Oh, yeah, baby. Sprint. Yeah. Hey, look, Interlagos is a, is a terrific track full of... It's one of the old tracks that's still fun to race. It's just this and Monza, I think. Uh, and I guess Silverstone. Ah, whatever. They're all great. Um, new positive Danny on this week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I am as on the fence about the sprint race as I was after the first sprint race. I'm still waiting for the penny to drop and it's just landed on its side. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Yeah, uh, pretty much as deeply confused by the sprint race as Danny. Uh, I still like. I still think, yeah, this could work out despite the fact that it basically <laughs> hasn't... Like, No, it's not entirely true. I would say maybe its success rate at generating interesting races is like 30%, uh, which means that, you know, maybe more judicious uh, picks, uh, maybe different championship environment, that would be more interesting. Uh, but yeah, the sprint race thing is that, you know, it's got some, it's got some headwinds. I think uh, Max was talking about them this week where a major issue is just that everyone is in protect the car mode, which doesn't make the most dynamic racing. Uh you know, and, and the other thing is, if there are issues in the main championship, the sprint race is just going to reproduce those issues mm. uh, in a new format. Well, if you are new to this podcast and none of that makes any sense, first of all, welcome. <laughs> uh, and if you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode that explains who everybody is, how the sport works. It assumes no prior F1 knowledge. So if this is your first episode, uh, we recommend going back and listen to that. It's episode 178. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? Uh, later this month, next week, I believe, we're recording our Gone in 60 Seconds 1974 review, uh, which <laughs> came up in our in the, the final hour, the 11th hour of our Gone in 60 Seconds review last week, the Nicolas Cage one. We realized that the story behind the 1974 one is absolutely insane, so we now need to go and watch that. So I'm excited to do that for sure. Um, uh, I also want to do a little, a little bit of housekeeping. So the 24, a couple of mo- weeks ago, I think I said I was going to go to the 24 hour of lemons here in Sonoma. And then a couple of weeks ago, I realized that I, I probably couldn't go. And now I am sort of, I am, I am deciding to go. I think I'm deciding to go again. <laughs> okay. We, we've, I, I have to be in Seattle on that Monday and the race is on Saturday to Sunday. So I'm going to go for the Saturday morning. I'll be there, um, and we're going to do a meetup there as well at the Sonoma Raceway in uh, Sonoma, uh, California, just north of San Francisco. If you're in the area and you're interested in going, we have set up a Discord channel. Sorry, yeah, a channel on our uh, Shift F1 Discord server. So if you're a patron, you should be able to access that right away. Um, if you don't use 
uh, Discord because it sounds like something that like teenagers use or something and it scares you. That's absolutely fine too. Uh, I'll update people on the podcast here and on my Twitter at Danny O'Dwyer as we get to um, as we get to the time. But um, I noticed some people who are thinking of going who are coming from out of state, so I was like. I'm going to, I have to drive to Seattle, so I'm going to weather the uh, race that morning, hang out a bit, see everyone, and then hit the road, and then uh, you all can enjoy the rest of the 20 hours or so. Um, wow. But yes, the 24 hour of lemons happening, Sonoma Raceway. I believe it's December 6th or something. It's a Saturday and a Sunday, the first week of December, I think. It's pretty easy so to find keep- on Google. Exactly. Keep your eyes on that and head over to Discord if you're interested in coming and we'll do a little get-together, a little little chin wag and all that sort of stuff. Um, and thank you to all of our incredible title sponsors, Kick Aha of the Art, at Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, at Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Pyrites Card Castle, Iron Station Studios, Alan McCrary, TelemetryDeck.com, David Mule, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani. If you're a Sky Glass customer, you can listen to highlights of this podcast while listening to this podcast. Abraham Getchell, Enzo N. Ayrton, Redacted, Snigs, Alex Goucher, Max Faltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Humberto Roca, William Rumpf, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Maddened Man, and Jason Kelly. Fantastic. Irish accent popped out there. I don't know. Lachlan just kind of did it to me. Lachlan. Oh, Lachlan Bay. How are you doing, Slime? Try and reestablish your bona fides after that Sinn Fein debacle last week. No, no, I'm one of you. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we got all the emails about Sinn Fein. Yeah, right. Uh, All right. Well, perhaps some less contentious news um, this week. Although, I don't know. Unless you're a tire who's cold or was too warm. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. Formula One is apparently still committed to this whole sustainability thing um, in, uh, in, you know, (laughs) ways that affect the sporting so they are trying to uh reduce the amount of energy used in the heating of tires so if you've watched uh closely in the garages the tires are often wrapped in blankets before they go out um before the cars go out onto the track because the warmer the tire the stickier it is uh and the more grip it has and the faster the car goes they heat these things up to boiling to a mm. hundred degrees Celsius, which Terrifying. is, yeah, that's really Lit- scary. Literally boiling. Yeah. Uh, well, th- a point at which water would boil. The the the, the rubber does not boil, but um, <laughs> that costs a lot of energy. So they Formula One has been saying by 2024, tire blankets are going to be gone. Uh, they actually did a a, a test around this um, uh, at the last race weekend. Uh, oh boy, I'm saying it like a British person. The weekend, um, and uh, and in the United States uh, Grand Prix, and Max Verstappen and Lando Norris kind of said that this is this is going to cause crashes because if you if you put these tires on these cars with no heat, it's going to be like driving on ice, basically. Mm. Um, so it seems like they're trying to come up with a stopgap here. Uh, the current plan is still for no tire blankets in 2024, but um, Pirelli Motorsport boss Mario Isola uh, explained to Autosport um, that 
maybe that might not happen. So basically what they're going to do here, and I think they did a test on this uh, exact scenario, where instead of heating the tires at 70 degrees for three hours, Whoa. Um, uh, the, the first plan was to heat them at 50 degrees Celsius for three hours, but they discovered that if you heated them at 70 degrees for two hours... Uh, you not only saved more energy, but the tires were more drivable. So they're going to okay. do, uh, they might do that instead. So uh, watch this space, see if we get any confirmation about 2024 tires. But um, I don't know. I, I feel a little like, well, why don't you just make tackier tires that <laughs> don't need heating it's a good point yes it, uh, why don't you go back to the drawing board on these these circles you put on your wheels and and see if we don't need i yeah i don't i i there's always like a desire that there's this one part of the car that if you did this like dramatic change to it then maybe everything would be awesome and maybe like the cars would have you know a little bit less grip and we'd we'd really see the the drivers you know struggle with the cars and that would be awesome um and I think all of us would kind of like people to struggle with the cars a little bit more. And, it's what, you know, when wet races happen, for instance, that's when you see a lot of that, like, individual skill kind of come out. We see the various rain meisters throughout the generations. And and um, same thing with uh, tire wear. Uh, you know, some drivers have been really good at, at, at that. And, uh, yeah, I... I I always w- wonder that, but I think it's probably just like you know, the l- the less you know about something, the more you th- you know, simply you think the solutions are. Um, yeah, it is interesting though. Though I I I'm always wondered like when this like how this happened, like how how we got to this point because like when did we start heating tires and when did it become this like kind of like essential practice now, like to the point where if you don't do this, uh, the like the drivers rightfully said that it's actually like like irresponsible. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, but also in part that is also I think this is a generation of drivers who've only driven on tires that are coming out like they're put on your car and they're like perfectly optimized uh, for running pace. And so to like to an extent, I think there's also just like everything like they haven't wrestled as much with like the ice cold tires uh, phenomenon. So like bringing them in, Uh, but also the cars like are trickier to drive in some ways and lurch around more. Um, it's the, the funny thing for me in all this is I guess I'd miss that this was a sustainability, uh, first Mm -hmm. thing and not a competition first thing. I thought this was primarily being driven by the, by the desire to see people, uh, to have the tire change affect the running pace of a car more, uh, to make race strategy more interesting, to to yeah. maybe uh, introduce a new skill element. It's kind of funny to me that actually it's more about the, uh, you know, the the sports green commitments, as it were, uh, and and you know, when you think about it, I I am sure heating the sheer number of sets of tires that they do. Uh, up and down the grid for an entire weekend. I'm sure that is like wildly uh, energy expensive. Uh, at the same time, it also just feels like the compared to the scale of like probably what F1 operations are. Um, it's it seems kind of a a goofy uh, way to sort of follow through on on sort of the sports commitments. But yeah, I I think um, I'm still I'm still kind of, I'm still excited for the notion that like ultimately tire blankets are going to go away 
Uh, I think it has made things kind of interesting in endurance racing uh, and sports car racing. And I think it would do that in F1. I do think it also, like, it's going to put the ball in Pirelli's court and give them yet another, like, tricky brief uh, to, to sort of to sort of handle, which that's what they've let themselves in for. But they've always been very clear that the things that F1 asks them to do are not easy for a tire manufacturer to deliver on. Uh, having tires that are yeah. safe, that are... Uh, you know, high performance, but also kind of poor performance. So that they wear off and fall off in, in ways that are interesting. Yeah. I could see them doing kind of a, a you know, a, a tapering thing like, okay, we're going to heat the, the current tires that we have, or the, you know, the, the new tires that we developed for 2023, we're going to heat them for two hours instead of three. And then next year we're going to have a different, you know, a slightly different compound. We're only going to heat it for one hour, you know, and just kind of taper off from there. Uh, that seems more like the right way to do it. Cause I would hate for them to go like, uh, all right, no more tire blankets gone. And then everyone crashes and they're like, okay, never mind. And then we're not doing that and go back to the way it was. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll watch this closely. I can't guarantee that cause it's a very minor thing, but, uh, <laughs> you'll probably hear, you'll probably hear about it. Uh, what's next, Danny? Yeah, so uh, I did this put this in the bucket of news that could very easily change by the time you have listened to this podcast. But as we are recording this, there still has been no news on the uh, second Haas seat. Um, the, I would say reality seems to be leaning towards uh, Mick Schumacher losing that seat and um, that seat going to Nico Hulkenberg, who, of course, if you are new to F1, you may not know, but he is sort of the uh, epitome of a driver who had lots of, um, kind of like Mick Schumacher, maybe, (laughs) hopefully not in in the end, uh, lots of enthusiasm as a young driver, had done really well in lower series, came up to F1 and just never found um, his form or a seat that worked for him kind of like the elder years of Ricardo we've been enjoying recently. Um, well, but he's interesting in that he he never really, he's never had a podium, but he right. stayed in the sport for a really long time. Very long time, yeah. Like he's the, the the uh, you know, the, the journeyman driver, uh, essentially. So totally. he's, he's, he's been around, he's really experienced. Um, you know, he, he's been brought in a, a number of times to fill in seats when people are sick or injured. Uh, he's kind of the 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 always standby guy. Yeah, he's he's an interesting character because there's sort of a lot of data on him now, um, so you can kind of draw some conclusions. Um, although you know he's not been put in a super fast car, but the sort of the the, the story around him, especially as they covered him in Drive to Survive as well, is that like he's a very good in the mid pack fighting for positions with his peers, but uh, in moments of uh, sort of you know do or die moments maybe like super competitive moments where he needs to like be the best possible driver in that moment that he sort of falls short so he's he's a good stable hand but he's not doesn't necessarily have the temperament for championship winning drives um you're right he stayed in the sport for a long time and uh, you know he did that in an era that was probably easier to do so than now when there's just so much youth coming through the system. But also I think that within the paddock, people have always respected his driving skill. Um, and that sort of is definitely shown by uh, how much sort of post F1 career involvement he's had in F1 filling in for people and, and whatnot. Um, so uh, news at the moment is that um, 
uh, there will be an announcement before Interlagos. Um, and there was some uh, uh, article here from Autosport, which was looking into the other side of this, which is that um, <laughs> Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg had a very famous exchange at, uh, what was it, the 2017 Hungarian Grand Prix, I think it was. I was reading it earlier. Um uh, where cover any children's ears, maybe for a second, uh, uh, in a press interview after the race, he told uh, Nico Hulkenberg to suck my balls, um, which is a very <laughs> funny thing to say, especially uh, to people who, uh, for whom English is not their first language. I think that is a particularly um, a funny and striking thing to say. Um so there was a lie. Uh, they're asking, people have been asking about this because it's just funny that the two of them would end up on the same team. Um, but uh, Magnussen, this is coming from Autosport, Magnussen himself is clear uh, that having someone alongside him with Hulkenberg's level of experience would be a positive thing. Um, I think that I've said many times now, and I don't have a problem with Nico at all, said the Dane. Actually, I respect him as a racing driver. I don't really know him as a person, but certainly as a racing driver, I've always respected him, so I would have no problem. But I don't have an opinion on whether or not he should be in a second car. Mick is doing a good job at the moment. He's had some issues in the beginning of the year and a few crashes, but he is certainly faster now. And that's the issue, is that... Uh, Kevin Magnussen has 24 points. Mick Schumacher has 12 points. Um, I believe both of those points came in the middle of the season at Spa and Silverstone, as uh, where he accrued those. Apart from those, he has been out of the top 10 uh, for the rest of the year. Um, he has finished every race, I think, except one. Um, so he he's not oh no sorry he's retired two races um spain schumacher you're talking about here canada yes schumacher yeah so the issue here is that obviously spa or sorry haas is in a um in a battle in the constructors where the 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 margins and the money you get is super super important and uh they are currently in eighth position with 36 that is one above alfatari so they could easily drop into ninth position um, whereas if they had, let's say, another 12 points from uh, Schumacher, um, something similar to Magnussen, they would have 48 points, which would mean they'd be one behind uh, Aston Martin. So the second seed is super, super important to them when they're trying to scrape as many points as they can. And if they're in a situation where they could be in ninth or they could be in seventh from that, then you know, as much as we all love Mick, that's kind of what they're looking at. And they're looking at... Um, Hulkenberg is somebody who can give them consistency, which right now is probably something they're looking for. Well, and they also, uh, Mick's had more shunts than he's had DNFs, uh, has been the other issue mm. um, with incidents in practice and such. Uh, and, and so remember, you know, you had Gunther Steiner out there earlier this year saying that. And, you know, in his very Gunther-ish ways, he's saying, you know, I'm not I'm not pointing fingers. It's not a big problem, but uh, the, we're running out of parts. Uh, Mick, Mick, right. can't, Mick knows he can't keep uh, wrecking the car. And so there's there's that element as well, which is that, you know, independent of even whether you're bringing home those bags of points, uh, there have been issues with Mick where it has made team operations harder and eaten into, uh, you know, not just their budget, but again, part supply because Haas is sort of at the mercy is dependent on a lot of uh, like, uh, you know, OEM manufacturers uh, because they they're not really a, a proper works team. Uh, that being said, like 
I... So one, it's very funny Magnuson saying this because effectively this is the Minotaur uh, at the center of the labyrinth of the Hots team being like, send in whoever you want. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I will slay them. I've got this team on lock. I've got this weird car on lock. Uh, two, I think they should... And would this be cruel to Mick? Absolutely. But it would be very funny. They don't announce anything until next season. And they wait until Nico Hulkenberg is sitting down to breakfast. And they're like, <laughs> we need you to come drive for the 2023 Formula One season. You need to be on a plane in 90 minutes. <laughs> that, is, that is the only proper way to give, to give Hulkenberg uh, his seat back. Um, but how about, how about during the flyover, a helicopter hovers over the grid and a rope tumbles out. Yes. And Nico Hulkenberg descends. He repels down into an F1 cockpit. Yes. Uh, you know, that this is, this is the way, uh, you know, I think the, the funny thing about Hulkenberg is there was so much hype when he came in F1. I remember like people had really tapped him as a, uh, a future great and, he he has had those like he he's had bad seasons, uh, but like the things that have tended to happen to him are the sort of things that happen to people who run in the mid pack, driving for teams like as inconsistent as Williams as Force India was. I mean, anytime you have a turn at Sauber, that kind of indicates how your career is going. <laughs> uh, like it's like he's just. I think he, I think he was unlucky on timing. You know what I mean? I think in a different era. Uh, his early promise might have been awarded like a quick advancement into like more prestigious teams. It never came, and he became sort of your definition of a good like he's the Kirk Cousins of F one yeah. drivers. Yeah, he's also he's also I think who Dino Ricardo wished he was a little bit now, where he it's you know I think that's what people assume Dino Ricardo would be. That would be the floor for DC. Um, or DR, um, and that obviously hasn't played it either. So, yeah, as much as I think Nico Hulkenberg maybe has a low ceiling, he also has a high floor. So I think he's 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 a steady hand that way. Um, uh, yeah, and if he gets it, this is probably the last chance he has, right? Because he's he's uh, he's thirty five now. He's he's aging. Well, I guess Alonso's breaking all those rules, but um, this is probably you know I, it's it sucks, right? It really sucks because I think a lot of people would. I'd love to see him back because I think he's. A great guy and I, I i do think he's a good driver um but especially with the year we've just had where it's been another it's been a sort of a weak racing year competitiveness at the top for sure and there is that sort of still bubbling um uh, irritation from last year and we're gonna leave lose mick schumacher and danny ricardo like ah like it's it does take away from it a bit yeah it's it's a bummer i mean who the weird thing is the market now is does seem so unsettled like maybe this youth movement will will come all the way through uh, and there are not going to be that many opportunities for guys to cycle back in. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. There's been so much weirdness with uh, contract stuff this year that maybe doors open down the road, though it does feel like this is, uh, unle unless Mick goes off and, and has success somewhere else, uh, it seems like it would be a, a hard a hard road to get back. Um, but But either way, I think it's, you know, so much of how this move is going to look is going to depend really on whether Haas can continue to advance from the back of the mm. field um because if they stall out again i i think it'll be more of the same for whoever is uh, in that seat 
All right, well, uh, let's move on to Red Bull, Rob. Yeah, nothing uh, terribly interesting, um, like I, from a racing standpoint. But we'd mentioned the fact that, like, uh, you know, with, with the death of Dietrich Mateschitz, who was uh, completely in control of that company, it was it was really sort of a uh, the way I sort of put it, it was sort of a monarchical uh, model of management that they had there. They have clarified now how the company is going to be run moving forward, and uh, effectively, they have adopted a where all things used to sort of flow up to one person in the person of Dietrich. Uh, now there is a like three person executive board. Uh, basically, uh, someone is handling the 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 can, the beverage business. Uh, they have a, a CFO uh, who's handling chief financial issues, as you might imagine, but. <laughs> Probably more importantly for from our standpoint is uh, they appointed a uh, CEO of corporate projects and investments, Oliver uh, Oliver Minsloff, and that means that ultimately it will be Minsloff who is running the F1 team, like not running the F1 team, but has final say. The F1 team will report up into Minsloff, uh, and you know certainly resources uh, allocated to it from from the rest of the company will probably be run through this 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 management board uh but now effectively the the court of highest appeal above helmet marco is going to be uh oliver minsloff whether that means anything uh who knows i think the the funny thing is red horner mentioned this you know red bull was left as a team in a really strong position uh you know the it's very fortunate i think that they got the green light to stand up their powertrains program uh, under uh, Dietrich because I imagine that would be a much harder sell to a new management team. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, in in some ways, they've they've laid a lot of groundwork to be a a pretty sustainable operation, uh, and there, it does not seem like they will have to go hat in hand uh, to to a corporate board anytime soon, especially with the success they're having. But, you know, in the long term, who knows? This is the scary thing about corporate boards. They can change their minds and start to mess with parts of their business uh, for reasons that don't make a lot of sense. And just it just happens. Uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen here, uh, but it's always something you got to keep an eye on. Well, one thing that is happening is the Brazilian Grand Prix. Danny, can you take us through this track? Sure. Uh, welcome. <clears throat> excuse me. Welcome to Autodromo Jose Carlos Paz, uh, also or more, I guess, you know, uh, colloquially and internationally known as Interlagos. Uh, this uh, track was built in the 1930s, but um, sort of only came to F1 in 1973 by way of Brazilian drivers. So perhaps it's... Um, Appropriate, uh, certainly is appropriate. That's named after a Brazilian driver. Um, the Brazilian driver who brought it uh, to the, the the streets of Sao Paulo or the hills rather um, was Emerson Fittipaldi, who went on to win the inaugural race. Uh, he also won the second race in 1974, and then it was the uh, uh, now infamous uh, Jose Carlos Paz. I never know if it's Pache or Paz. Um, Pache. Pache. Um, he won the third race in 1975, uh, the only race he ever won. Uh, he was a, a kind of a journeyman F1 driver. He competed in a lot of seasons, a lot of races, but he only ever won one race here at Interlagos before 
Um, he uh, sadly lost his life in his early 30s in a plane crash. Um, uh, the, the circuit was uh, uh, subsequently named after him. Um, this uh, track was also kind of, in many sort of an F1 fans' minds, especially in the 90s, was, was where the season ended. This was, you know, where a lot of... Um, uh, championships were decided. Uh, it's always been near the end of the season, probably because of its location in the Southern Hemisphere, um, uh, putting it as close, uh, you know, a nice window where it's not not too hot, not too cold. Um, it's 71 laps. It's a fun little, f- it's like a goat car track for adults. It's uh, fast and nimble. It's 4.3 kilometers, 2.67 miles. And I think as a, if you are new to F1, uh, I've said this before, it's one of the easier tracks to really grok quickly. Uh, it has very three very distinct sections. Uh, every track has three sectors. We break them into that for a number of different reasons. Um, uh, but Interlagos really is three different sections, and they are almost wired to where those sections are on the map. Uh, the first section is this, you know, sort of like every classic F1 track. It's got banked corners on it, this sort of like downhill, undulating, um, uh, fast, you know, sort of getting up to speed part of the track that ends in a start fi- or in a in a straight with the circuits only other DRS straights. There's one in the start finish straight, there's, I think, every track, and then there's one here down to what is turn four. After turn four, you enter basically the infield of this track. Um, I've heard that if you're in the stands at the start finish straight facing down to the penultimate corners, you can also look back towards this area, which is, sounds oh, pretty cool. neat. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's this, uh, you know, six corner configuration, just S curves, sort of that snake up and down. Again, this kind of like hilly, it's almost like Interlagos is built on the side of a hill. Uh, so you're always kind of like fighting the hill. You're either going fighting up the hill or you're fighting down the hill. Or in this section, you're kind of fighting across the hill a little bit um, in this really cool uh, sector, which um, as Lewis Hamilton showed uh, you can you can even overtake here, even if it means knocking someone out of the way. Um, <laughs> and then after that, you're into just this like super F zero wipeout uphill, you know, foot to the floor section. Um, it's like a it's like a just the biggest left hander ever. It's got it's like one turn that has four apexes <laughs> up the hill into the grandstands, um, and then you've completed a lap. It's a fast lap. That's why the seventy one of them feels fast um and generally it's been a track where there has been kind of lots of places to overtake more than most you know the end of the start finish straight certainly the end of that uh first straight at the end of sector one certainly um uh the entrance into a sector uh three turn 12 uh sometimes you see people throwing it there or turn 11 just squeezing up the inside and then there will absolutely be lots of shots of cars battling up into uh, uh, the checkered flag, like up up the hill, even before they get down to the end of uh, turn one. So it's a fun track. Drivers seem to like it. Uh, great atmosphere, as you can imagine, from all the, the um, Brazilian fans. Um, we've also had weird incidents here where Jensen Button was attempted. They tried to kidnap him on the way to the track. Oh, God, um, that's right. Yeah, that was before he was eventually put to sleep when his house was robbed. Do you remember that story? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like he's Jensen Button had a lot of like James Bond-esque capers happen to him. Um which is a nice way of putting being 
put asleep when your house is being robbed. Um, yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a cool track. I love it. They tried to get rid of it and make a new one, um, probably because Brazil has got a lot of corruption when it comes to money, but thankfully it never happened. And we're still here at Interlagos. Long live Interlagos. Long live Autodromo Jose Carlos Pache. Indeed. Well, uh, looks like a, a fun and tricky track might be made more tricky <laughs> by this weekend's weather. <laughs> We've had fun yeah. rain in Interlagos before. Ugh, so, tell me, Drew. Tell me, Drew. Temperature-wise, we're increasing over the weekend. So qualifying, Ooh. which is, uh, remember, on Friday, is going to be uh, low 70s uh, or low 20s if you're Celsius. Uh, climbing to around 74 or 23 Celsius. Uh, and then uh, that's for sprint day. And then for race day, um, might even reach 80 or 27. But the real story is with precipitation because on qualifying day, it's currently sitting at 78%. And then the sprint day is at 56 with thunderstorms. Oh my goodness. Well, they won't be driving in that. <laughs> no. And then the race climbs back up to 74% oh at race gosh. time. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, oh thunderstorms. And actually, Friday and Sunday both have scattered thunderstorms on, on the docket. So uh, those are not fun. Those uh, pause racing. Yes. Um, so we don't, we don't want that. But uh, who, would, who doesn't like a little water? Imagine if it didn't pause racing and you had like drive club <laughs> style atmosphere, though, as the <laughs> F1 cars were going around the track. It looks like an arcade racer. Uh, the lightning Amazing. glinting off the off the liveries. Oh, what a race that would be. Extraordinarily dangerous, deeply responsible, but very cool. <laughs> Interlagos is also like one of the best tracks for rain because it's on a hill because you just get like random puddles and like weird spots that like recollect water um <clears throat> like that that Senna S's at the start is just like a little little waterfall <laughs> like it totally changes the there's also like there's like weird what I love about this track which I didn't mention it just reminded me there was there is like there are loads of ways to tackle these corners like it's yeah they're kind of weird because they they kind of like slope and have bumps and have weirdnesses remember last year i think it was was alonzo and the senna s's was taking this crazy tight angle on that first one and it was just opening up the next two so he kept doing it to people it was i think it was him uh, there was well, somebody who did this crazy trick and it was just like oh yeah you can do that i guess he just yeah. found the grip yeah the, the one I always think of is uh, Max Verstappen's kind of coming out party where I think it was like 2016 or something. Like the first time oh, we yeah. were like, oh, this kid is good. He was like, like gobbling he was running people. circles around people yeah. in the rain because he <laughs> he knew like to take uh, to go off of the racing line because that's where all the rubber is. And so when rubber and water meet, it's slippery. So you go offline and take I, I guess that's more of a carding line. Uh, and he just like wiped the floor with the field. It was amazing. And he finished in second or something. Uh, you're right. Yeah. He was like far back as well. Something happened. Yeah. 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 It does kind of like level. It does. Yeah. That's what we love about racing, right? Just the, the, the elite drivers just rise to the top in those scenarios. And look, um, it yeah. just every F like, I don't know, making it a law might be too extreme, but I'm not sure there's a single course that is not improved by having a chicane go down a hill uh, like like a, a quick left right hander as the as the track drops steeply 
always magic. Like works every single time from Laguna Seca <laughs> to Interlagos. It's just mm. it, it's always good. They should always do it. Well, heading into this race weekend, <clears throat> let's go through the standings. Uh, Max Verstappen, your champion, has 416 points. Sergio Perez is in second, his teammate, with 280. Just five points ahead of Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari in third. Let me jump down to George Russell of Mercedes uh, in fourth with 231 points. Ahead of his teammate, Lewis Hamilton in fifth with 216. Then we've got the other Ferrari, Carlos Sainz in sixth with 212. Uh, a sizable gap down to Lando Norris in seventh with 111. Then Esteban Ocon with 82. Fernando Alonso in ninth with 71. Valtteri Bottas in tenth with 47. Then we've got Vettel with 36. Ricardo with 35, Magnuson with 24, Pierre Gasly with 23, Lance Stroll in 15th place with 13 points ahead of Mick Schumacher with 12, tied with Yugi Tsunoda. Then Zhou Guan Yu in 18th with 6, Alex Albon with 4, then Nicholas Latifi and Nick DeVries tied with 2 in 20th spot, and finally Nico Hulkenberg, who filled in but has 0 points. Yeah. In the constructors, what's that? He was driving well that day, and then he retired. Is that what happened? I remember he he was doing really well. People were going to be like, "Oh, he's going to get points. Or he's going that to get a podium, like, yeah, or something." I forget. <laughs> that sounds like Hulkenberg. Uh, in the constructor standings, Red Bull Racing, also your champions for 2022, uh, is in first with 696 points. The second place team, Ferrari, has 487 to mm. Mercedes's 447. Uh, Alpine is in fourth with 153. McLaren's in fifth with 146. That's a tight battle. Alfa Romeo is in sixth with 53. Aston Martin has 49. Gene Haas and team have 36. Alfa Tauri has 35. A lot of tight battles in these last two races. And Williams has eight. Yeah, I'm trying to see which ones are going to get wrapped up. Um, I'm also wondering, is Max going to get like the biggest gap, you know, to second? He might it might do like that's that's a fairly sizable chunk he's got over I mean, there are a lot of points on offer these days right so, I, could be. I'll, you know i guess 20 hypothetically mercedes could get the it could be a 50 point gap going into the final race and that would be but like i can't see them i can't i mean i can't see them catching up now 447 to 487 um all things considered, I know Ferrari fans, like, after the first couple of races, look like we all kind of hoped there'd be a bit of a fight, because hopefully there'd be some fight, because Mercedes pretty early on looked like they had sort of dropped the ball a little bit with their car. Um, obviously, it didn't pan out, but Ferrari fans must be pretty pleased with this year. Um, Leclerc's been so good on qualifying as well. Um, loads of ball positions, just couldn't hold on to them. Um, I'm not sure yeah, Ferrari be... fans are pleased by this year, though. You don't think I, so? <laughs> I, I don't. I think I, I think the problem is there looked to be so much promise at the start of the year, and like the the setbacks have been so spectacular, either with a car right. bursting into flames and rolling downhill, <laughs> which feels like a metaphor uh, as it as it happens in front of you, or just like the uh, you know number of high profile like suboptimal piss strategies uh that that get called i i do think like you know the thing is it's a it's a hugely crushing season if you think we we were intended to be up there dueling for a championship and you just get swamped by red bull but i think if you like if you do look at it just from the standpoint of of how f1 has, has run these last few years where for years where ferrari has been these last few years like Sometimes there's an outlier team that just sweeps everyone away. And if you lop that off, 
Ferrari's had a really good season. Um, mm. You know, they, they've, you know, they, they may not be able to hold on to second. I think they probably will. Uh, but they've they've been a clear best of the rest. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an easy season I think to come away with some some optimism about. It's just you know whenever you have a good start to the season, you have that brief moment where you're like, we could be in with a shot here, uh, and that just turned out not to be what 2022 was going to be. Yeah, like as as much as what any any of the teams could have done themselves. Like this has been a classic Red Bull dominated season. Like this is this reminds you of the 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 Vettel years. Um, you know some of the ones where they've had where where he wasn't fighting up until the end because yeah, <clears throat> also have to remember there was some of them where he was. But you know Max has got more confidence than ever. You know they didn't have somebody nipping at their heels this year, and obviously the car was uh, you know better than anything, and also. Checo has very much established himself as a solid number two. Well, <laughs> you know, you know the thing, the thing He's about in that the is they did make a point of giving Checo the worst car. Like, just because they couldn't afford to, like, they, they were very clear. They're like, we went off on a bad development direction. We, we couldn't, like, unwind it. So Checo kind of got stuck with a, a shabbier car. Uh, I am mm. curious if that doesn't happen uh, next year, if we see more convergence because because it, it, it did sort of turn into a wow Checo's not holding up his his side but you know it's it's tough to figure out uh what's what's that versus like what is what's the car um mm. but yeah i you know like i'm always ex- i'm excited by the idea of like Checo turns out to be the rosberg of red bull if we get another if we get another <laughs> year like this right like uh where suddenly it's like wait i could win this too and then we got we got a game i'd like it that's the one thing we missed this year was just if if the teammate battle is not happening and there's a dominant team, right. it does make for a less interesting season. 2016 like, would have been miserable if could you uh, imagine yeah. Rosberg hadn't been been in that. Yeah, and thankfully in the later years, Max was fighting with Lewis when Bottas wasn't, so we had something. But right, it's it's so I I do think that battle at the top is so critical. If we can't get it between teams, we need it between. God, thank know, God the for that year Ferrari cheated. <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs to fuel aliasing. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's take it to some emails, Danny. Sorry, I hit the mute button at the wrong moment there. Um, I'm just coughed all over you. My bad. Yes, let's Gross. do it. Let's bring it to uh, email. Shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Thank you so much to everyone who emailed about Mexico. We got two really good emails uh, about their uh, uh, Shift F1 listeners' experience at Mexico. Um, I have abridged both of them because they were very detailed and even came with photographs. Thank you both so much. Uh, This first one is from Erica. As my third Grand Prix, I attended Austin in 2021 and Miami in 2022. Mexico vastly exceeded my expectations as was my and was my favorite overall Grand Prix experience. Getting there, Mexico has the incredible advantage of public transport, Metro, which is a thousand times the way to go. Yes, it was sweaty and crammed, but we got on and off at the train with zero issues and there uh, were there, sorry, zero issues and were there slash back in no time. Uh, and the ride is five pesos, approximately 25 cents. The other brilliant thing they do is throw a giant party by the podium after the race, which helps prevent one massive migration of people all trying to get out at once. Race visibility. Mexico That's a great had idea, a f- by the way. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, there's also there's some other ways they do that, which comes up in your email. Um, race visibility. Mexico had a fantastic screen and commentary. The downside was the commentary was split probably 70-30 Spanish to English. Uh, that said, Wi-Fi access at the track was amazing. Not the case in Austin. So I was able to use my F1 app to bring up live stats slash lap times, which was very helpful to see what was happening. Vibe. The Mexican crowd is incredibly passionate, and even though I am not a Red Bull slash Checo fan, I was so energized seeing and hearing the crowd that was so in love with their local hero. Plus, the organizers do so much to make the whole thing a giant party. There is a mariachi band in a parade before the race. People are doing conga lines. There's a DJ before the race. And then after the podium, they throw a massive party out on the track. Uh, as you know, the race was painfully boring, but it didn't honestly didn't matter uh, because we were just having a fantastic time being there. Ticket price. Worth noting that there is a huge range there. Obviously, it depends on where you sit, when you get the tickets, etc. But for my memory, my Mexico three-day ticket was uh, about $600. Austin was about uh, $1,100 and Miami was $1,600. Quite meaningful. I don't even want to know what the what Vegas is going to cost. Oh, my God. Um, can I do a quick addendum to that? Uh, yes. So I, I did, I paid the $7 to get the pre-access to the Vegas uh, seats um, and I got priced out. I just, we had a couple of people, Tohir Tiliav was also sending us messages about it. Um, they were pretty expensive. So they only have, it seems like there's they two areas they were selling. One was a sort of a GA area around a set of corners and another one was another like GA area around a set of corners. Um, to buy a seated ticket, it was like, I think it was two grand starting and to get a GA ticket, I forget, but it felt like, I think it was- 500. Was it 500 at least? Okay. 500 to stand. To stand, yeah, in these like areas that they've apparently set up some stuff, but who knows? Um, and I just wasn't, I just wasn't feeling it. I was that's like, too much, man. That's, that's too much. I, 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 for for a track where I don't really know if the racing is going to be any interesting anyway, and yeah. like, there's no historic. Oh, I was just like, and I know a Vegas weekend's got to cost a lot of money anyway. So like, I if it's too grand for the ticket. Like, well, and like, what's and what's that? What's that seat gonna like? What's the quality of that seat yeah. going to be versus? Yeah, like it was too much. So then, about four days later, I got. So I was like, I was looking at Mexico and stuff, and being like, all right, if I can't go to that next year, maybe the Samano is the ones I can go to. And then about four days later, they announced this, uh, like, basically a new metal concert that's happening in Vegas on May thirteenth. Um, where the tickets are like a hundred bucks, so I'm just gonna go to that instead. Like <laughs> <laughs> a system of a down, they got corn, deftones, Papa Roach, wow. all the best ones. Soulfly is gonna be there, so I'm gonna go do that. Um, Mr. Bungle, but it's, it's one day, so I'm gonna go do that instead. Hang out with all my dirtbags, my new metal dirtbags. <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. So yeah, a bit of a bummer. Uh, Drew, we also had uh. Uh, another person go Logan. Logan Drew actually is their name, Logan Drew. So could you read Logan Drew's email, Drew? Yes, indeed. Logan Drew says, it was my first in-person F1 race after becoming a fan in 2017. I went to my second at Monza this year, so I have uh, some basis for comparison now. The comparison is not favorable to Monza. (laughs) Uh, We live in Minnesota, but we used the race as an excuse for us and another couple to spend a long weekend in Mexico City, which we had never visited before. Incredible city. And we will absolutely go back. We sat in the turn one, two, three complex for a couple reasons. 
Primarily, I thought it would be a pretty good spot to see action, but also I was going with a friend who was only vaguely into F1, so I didn't feel like it would be very nice to pressure him into paying grandstand prices. We loved our vantage point despite being pretty high up in the stands and had a great time. Although the food and beverage lines were very long, it was nothing compared to the dismal experience at Monza. Maybe that's partially down to increased overall attendance in the intervening three years, but regardless, the Mexican Grand Prix was well run from a logistics standpoint, and I had no complaints. A couple things I wanted to highlight. First, it is so easy to get to the track via public transportation. The train runs along the main straightaway, and there are a number of different train stops that align with the different entrances. Great. Uh, We were total novices, not really heavy public transit users even in the U.S., and not fluent Spanish speakers, but we had no issues at all. Second, the Mexican Grand Prix is, from what I understand, very unique on the calendar in that the circuit is pretty strictly segmented. You have to use the entrance that corresponds to where you're sitting, and you're not allowed to leave that sector of the grounds. I was disappointed by that at first because I had envisioned wandering around a bit along the lines of what you have described people doing in Austin. No such luck. But it was still great, and having now experienced Monza, I can appreciate that segmenting the circuit has probably, probably has some logistical benefits. Keep up the great work. I look forward to casting F1 2022 into the dustbin where it belongs. <laughs> Thank you, Logan. So that sounds uh, is fun, that what right? Were, yeah. Is that what you were talking about, Danny? Like the, by segmenting the track, do they control the, the egress? Yeah, that's better? what I think. Yeah, which is kind of similar to, you know, soccer stadiums with fans. Sometimes they leave out certain fans at certain times, which is also to make sure oh, there's no conflict as well. But um, right. uh, yeah, it this very much sounds like going to like a soccer game in Europe where the... The public transport gets you straight Dude. to the stadium that you just go in, you do your thing, and then you get out, um, as opposed to how most F1 tracks are built out in the, in the back ends of beyonds. So the, the only way to get out to them is on a on a shuttle bus or, yeah. or sta- you know, standing in traffic for three hours. Having this in the city is very cool, but also the fact that, like, apparently it's a really good metro system that's charging five pesos uh, to for a ride <laughs> is, is messy. Like... It cost me, I want to say, like 15 bucks to ride the shittiest commuter rail into Boston, uh, <laughs> like um, imaginable. Uh, and and then you're hooking into a, a transit system that effectively doesn't work anymore. Uh, and and so I'm I'm really sometimes, you know, sometimes you hear about like how people in faraway places are living and you're like, <laughs> man, we it have a comparatively impoverished society. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, life in London is like, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's not that expensive to tube around the city all day, and there's like a limit on it, and I took the bus to work every day there, and it was totally chill, and yeah, it's, I do miss that. But that's cool that the, that the circuit is set up that way, like, I, it makes total sense to me, considering how popular soccer is in Mexico as well, that they would, that this is the way that they would build around those, but like you said, it being in a, in a capital city, or a big city is 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 a big um, advantage to it, and also clearly an advantage to people coming from abroad as well, because you know it sounds like folks had a great time hanging out in 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 Tenochtitlan, just enjoying that that ancient ancient stuff and and probably lots of tasty food as well. Apparently, all the concessions were really good there uh, as well. Awesome. Should we move on to the next one? Yes, Rob, you want to get that one? Yeah, Chris writes, I've been watching F1 since my first race. I attended in 2009 in Bahrain while being stationed there. 
There's a question I've always posed with my friends, but no one has actually been able to answer it. Do lapped cars finish the race? We all know cars on the lead lap finish the race and slow down after, but do cars who are who are a lap back finish up the required laps? If not, there's a lot of DNFs we need to review. No, they do not finish the race uh, because it would be unsafe. Uh, if you think about the minute the, the minute the leaders cross the line, uh, they go into cool down. They, they drive slowly around the track and, and most tracks, waving to the crowd. And a lot of times you start seeing marshals leaving their station and advancing uh, to the corners to sort of celebrate and cheer the drivers on. You could not have uh, like cars continuing their race pace uh, following along behind them. Uh, and so when they when they finish, uh, they're just classified if, if they're not on the lead lap, they're just classified plus the number of laps uh, be, behind they are. Also, because who really cares what your final running time uh, would have been if you're if you're outside of the margin of like, a you know, minute 30 or, or two minutes. Uh, but yeah, so the, so the minute this is why you will see cars that are uh, that are a lap down or, or sometimes two laps down. Uh, duking it out furiously as the leader is like crossing the finish line because for them it's also the last lap now like the 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 track is dead past the timing and scoring line uh you know once they cross it even if they're like a lap back so uh yeah it's a it's not a dnf you're just classified as like plus uh plus one lap uh etc cool good explanation yeah uh, another similar sort of techie question here. I'll take this one, um, uh, which I've lost now because I've scrolled past it. Here we go. Uh, from Anna, uh, can you explain the penalty points that drivers can get on their super licenses? Is there a limit to how many they can get? What happens when they reach that limit? Do the licenses get taken away? Um, good question, Anna. Um, so the uh, points you get on your super license... They can accrue uh, at any time for any number of reasons. Uh, you can get them in practice, you can get them qualifying, you can get them during races. The most common ones, I uh, just went through a, sort of a list of, of, of recent ones, and the ones that came up to me were um, uh, collisions, obviously, are sort of a main one. It's it's uh, the, the point system is meant to be for like somewhat serious infractions. Uh, so collisions is one of them, impeding people in specific instances like ruining a qualifying lap or or something like that um doing some very dangerous things like uh, crossing the uh, pit lane entrance maybe uh you know on the way in which for instance if you remember hamilton had to do in in germany during that wet race that we often refer to um and then the amount of points you get is also variable they tend most points tend to be just one or two points on it um and basically how it works is that once you get 12 points you lose your super license for one race. So once you accrue 12 points, then you can't race in the next race. Um, The points are stripped off after a year, which means it's a sort of like a running total. So if you got a point in your first race one year and your second race the next year, you know, and you've accrued eight points by the end of that season, by the time the first race comes around, one of those points is gone again. You're down to seven. And then the next race... One of those points is gone because it's been 12 months. You're going to have to six. So you have to have accrued 12 points within a 12-month time frame to uh, engage that. Uh, to my mind, I, I although I've seen it in F2 a lot and F3, I cannot think of a driver who has been lost, who has been banned from a race in recent memory. Can either of you? We've gotten pretty close. Yeah. We have. I think uh, the hot-headed Sebastian Vettel may have accrued... Uh, a number. I think that season when he bashed into Hamilton and in, in Baku. Baku. Right. Yeah. Well, we got we got Gasly um, knocking on the door. 
Uh, oh yeah, what do we have at the moment? In penalty, uh, like points trouble. Um, I, I feel like I feel like people often get into trouble with penalty points, but stop short of getting the full race ban. Yeah, they, they they it mostly seems to be things that you had a second to think about, or you know, or or like particularly like it's not just getting into a crash. You know what I mean? It's not like innocent mistake crashes. It it generally tends to be reckless driving crashes, or just like um, selfish infractions, impeding, and things like that. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think I, it's I think it's mostly yeah. like a negligence thing. Yes. Yeah. And I think, or an unsporting thing, which people can rein in when it when it matters. Um, so that's how it works. So you'll hear us mention it, kind of when somebody realizes, oh, someone's close to the line. Like it, it might happen here, but it, yeah, it, I uh, can't f- for the life of me think of of, of the last time it happened. Um, and those are the emails. Thanks everyone for sending in emails. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Hey, if you go to Interlagos, if you're listening to this and you went to Interlagos, please let us know what that's like. That's that's one that's mm. that's a real bucket list one, I think. That sounds yeah. fun. Although the Mexican Grand Prix now is kinda Oh hmm. yeah. It's the top of my queue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It could be fun. I've never been to Mexico before. Uh, well, if you would like to join our fantasy league for the last two races of the season, you can do so using the link in the show notes. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I am at Drew Scanlon. Danny O'Dwyer is at Danny O'Dwyer. And Rob Zachney is at Rob Zachney. That is us around the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing, Danny? Let's race around the world of racing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the World Rally Cross, or I'm sorry, the World Rally, no cross, championship, Kicks things off on Thursday this week for the Rally Japan. Uh, They are headquartered in Nagoya, the largest city in the Chuba region, located on the Pacific coast of central Honshu. (laughs) It is the capital and the most populous city of Aichi Prefecture. Wow. Well, we all knew that. Yeah. Uh, We've also got the World Superbike Championship at Mandalika International Circuit in where is this? Which prefecture? Indonesia. <laughs> Indonesia. Uh, we've also got the uh, World Endurance Championship, eight hours of Bahrain. Ooh. This weekend, kicking off on Saturday. Endure Bahrain for eight hours. You could probably drive all of Bahrain in eight hours. Yeah, you could probably yeah, you could probably encircle it in eight hours. <laughs> Um, and Formula One, maybe you've heard of it, kicks off Friday, November 11th with Free Practice 1 at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2, and then same day, Friday, qualifying at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Saturday, things move to ESPN News for Free Practice 2 at 10.30 a.m., followed by the Sprint at 2.30 p.m., and then the race, everyone, Sunday, November 13th at 1 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Easy as one, two, three. Indeed. Uh, Danny, final thoughts ahead of Interlagos. I am, I, am, I am going to just get a big pot. It's Halloween has just ended. And oh, the spirits are, I feel close to them, Samhain. It's like, it's, you know, we're very spooky, mythical pre- people as Irish. And I'm just going to like 
get a bunch of cat heads and stuff and just try and brew a potion to make it rain. I just want it to rain <laughs> so bad now. I want it to rain in Lagos. I think it'll be... Everyone should want it to rain. All the, the folks who want to see... All the Max fans who want to see him do his best work want to see that. All the Lewis fans who want maybe there to be some magical element that closes the gap. Um, I shouldn't... I, I At this stage, I should stop saying Lewis. I should start saying George Russell fans because Lewis is <laughs> very uh, likely going to lose to his um, uh, teammate this year, which is actually probably the story of Lewis Hamilton's seasons rather than anything else. Um uh, yeah, I just I want to see I want to see that rain and and I want to get an answer to the Haas thing and swallow it and just accept it because it feels like no matter what the answer is there it's going to be a bummer. Mostly, uh, and if, Rob, mostly if Mick goes. Rob, final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm with you, Danny. I also just want to feel alive. I want to watch an F1 race and and feel something. Maybe maybe Mick will maybe maybe the rain will will awaken the latent Regenmeister in in yes. Mick and yes. he'll it'll drive an incredible race and then at the end uh they'll announce like we you know we've seen the potential we're go- we're going to renew him. But that's probably not going to happen. It, it happened with like- Checo, right? Remember? Gentlemen, Remember? we're going to renew him. We have the technology. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, oh. I'm, I'm like, I think especially because we all know we really want a great race here because Abu Dhabi ain't bringing it. <laughs> like Abu Dhabi is not going to bring the heat. Good point. So this is this is kind of our last uh, throw of the dice to have a you know maybe another really memorable uh, F1 race this season. Um, you know, Abu Dhabi. Uh, took a lot of contriving to generate a memorable one, uh, but I, yeah. I, they tried their best. They did, um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get a great one here. Uh, great track, uh, great driving, uh, and maybe we'll get some great racing conditions. What if, what if we get, <laughs> jump in the gun a little bit? But it would be quite fun if we got a late safety car in Abu Dhabi this year. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, would it be funny or would we all cry inside find out on the next exciting episode <laughs> of Shift F1 if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord you can do so over at patreon.com slash Shift F1 have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next week meow <laughs>